Welcome to Sisters of the Apocalypse. This podcast is hosted by sisters, surviving in this crazy world and just trying to keep a sense of humor along the way. Listen to three witty women who grew up in the same house, share their ideas, inspirations, and experiences. The Sisters of the Apocalypse will share the ups, downs, and everything in between when it comes to life as a millennial woman in today's world. Relatable and enjoyable until the very end. Hi, and thank you for joining us on Sisters of the Apocalypse. Today, we are gonna be talking about attachment theory. And if you've been on TikTok, you'll notice that this is actually currently trending. And one of the reasons is there was a 2010 self-help book called Attached, the new science of adult attachment and how it can help you find and keep love. So this book since 2010 has really brought the idea of attachment theory back to the forefront of what we think about in interpersonal relationships. And one thing that's often misunderstood about it, it's not a hard and fast rule. You're not just one category you never change. It's more of a fluid tendency in your relationships. And so that's something that, you know, we'll talk about a little bit today as we discuss attachment theory and what we've experienced personally. Now, just to kick us off, I will just point out that there are four recognized types of attachment, and that is securely attached, which is generally open and trusting, anxiously attached, who are people who long for closeness, but are paranoid that others will hurt them and thus preoccupied with this validation. Avoidantly attached, which is people who are driven by the same fear of abandonment and keep others at arm's length. And then there's another fourth category that's more new to this theory, which is called disorganized or anxious avoidant attachment theory. And that is a combination of both anxious and avoidant. (laughs) The best of both worlds. Thank you, Christine, for kicking us off on this topic. I think this is so interesting. And this is Liz here for any new listeners trying to identify who is who based on our voices. So we talked about this topic a little bit over the last couple of days. We try to save our conversations and content for when we get together on the podcast. However, we did all take a quiz, which was to determine, I think there was 24 questions and you answer them and it helps and it spits out a score and it tells you, you know, what your attachment style is. So without sharing my exact percentages, I will say that the highest one for me, which I do think is correct based on knowing myself, is that I lean towards the avoidant attachment style. And I think that this is kind of like you said, Christine, some trust issues, maintaining distance from others, being self-reliant, putting up walls, avoiding conflict, and just kind of really trying to keep my own independence. And I will say that I know that I think the attachment styles sound a bit negative, like unless you're secure, then like something's wrong with you. And so in some of the research that I did, I saw that 50% of people are in the secure attachment category. 20% are in the anxious, 25% are in the avoidant, and then about 5% are in that mix that, um, that fourth category that you mentioned, Christine. And I'd like to emphasize that there's no bad attachment style. 
I think that I will also point out that we are all a combination of all of them in different aspects of relationships and scenarios. So please don't take this as like a negative if you take a quiz and it tells you that you're anxious because that's not the intention. It's just to help you learn about yourself. And for anyone who's interested in taking this quiz, we did find it on the NPR website. So if you want to take a look, you should check it out. And I appreciate you saying that, Liz, how it's not a bad thing necessarily, because that was my reaction when I saw my results. I was like, oh, I'm not doing attachment properly. (laughs) And that's why I liked also reading that it was like a fluid tendency and you can develop your attachment theory or your attachment style over time. Yeah. And I, I would say, I think a big part of it is just taking that first step and identifying what you most align with. I think that's looking at your relationships really honestly. It's looking at things that you worry about really honestly. I will say personally, uh, this is Jenny, by the way, that I did score as primarily avoidant and then followed by anxious. And that seems confusing to me because I'm someone that deals with anxiety in general, but I guess technically that doesn't have to do with my relationship or how I feel about connecting with other people. And I saw a good, a kind of like a helpful definition that anxious attachment styles, they tend to give a lot. They tend to settle a lot in relationships to try to make that relationship work. And then when they feel threatened, they really try to control the situation. And then the avoidant is much more suspicious about a relationship or intimacy, feeling vulnerable with a partner. Sometimes they want to put distance between themselves and their partner when they're feeling, like I said, maybe too vulnerable. And then when they feel threatened, they want to withdraw from the situation. And that last part really resonated with me. I feel like if I'm tensions are getting high or things are getting uncomfortable, I'm definitely the one that's like, I'm going to step away. (laughs) I'm just going to go over here for a while. I'll point out also that we are talking attachment styles and we're talking and we're using the word relationships a lot. I would like to remind you that relationships are friendships, relationships with parents and their kids, relationships between siblings, friends, coworkers. It's not just romantic relationships. I know that a lot of the examples and things we're talking about kind of pertain to that, but I I do want to make that call out because I do believe that this can be true in other circumstances. That's a good point, Liz. And I didn't think about that, but I, when I'm thinking about these results, it could see how it could incorporate into, you know, difficult conversations at work that I don't want to have. What way do I want to address it? So I uh, took the test and I was not surprised to see that my number one category was avoidant. So I think that means all three of us have that as our primary. Yeah. Yeah. It comes (laughs) back to nature versus nurture question. Whenever we, whenever the three of us come up with something like this, that we're the same. Yeah. um, It's, I think it's interesting. Well, before I, Before I got too deep into this, I had my husband, David, also take the test because we were curious about how we would be the same and different. And I could not believe the difference. I was a high score avoidant and then a low score anxious, low secure. And he was high anxious, high secure, which I don't know how that's possible, and zero avoided. (laughs) 
It was like an opposite. <laughs> so we thought that was quite interesting. Actually, it really made me feel good to see my partner score high on that secure point of view. I don't know if that has anything to do with me, but it still made me feel good. I'm sure it has to do with you. And I will say, I believe it's a very common type, I guess, or pairing to have a really high anxious and a really high avoidant. Because think about it. If you had two anxious, all they would be doing is asking each other, do you, do you really like me? Because I really like you, but do you really like me? Because I'm not sure if you do. And then if you had two avoidant, they just wouldn't be dating. They would just be two people that don't know each other. That's a great point, Jenny. So I love the fact that Jenny says, yeah, David's secure in his attachment style because of you. Well, you guys are in a very loving and wonderful relationship. I don't know the research behind how much we really influence each other's attachment styles. I think that is a self-reflective thing that comes from within. Just a thought, just a thought. So I just, again, I'm just trying to like look at this holistically that you can be in a good relationship and have an avoidant attachment style. You can be in a very happy, loving relationship and have an anxious attachment style or a mix of these. It doesn't have to be secure and secure together to be a success. So let me just like, I just want to state that <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> no, I, I think this is a good reminder. The goal isn't necessarily for everyone to be secure. It's about understanding yourself. It's about maybe seeing where you have some potential shortcomings or maybe where you're going to see a pattern when you have an argument with someone and then being able to talk about that with whoever your partner is or whoever is on the other half of that relationship that, you know, when the going gets rough, if we're avoidant, we're just not going to be there. I feel like I have to make the joke that we're all avoidant, but I'm the only one that's successfully avoiding a relationship because I'm single, get it? We get it. <laughs> oh my oh, that gosh. Was funny. You're silly. Okay, so I did some reading. I'm going to counter something that you said. You just said, Jenny. So I apologize. So I agree. The goal is not, as we said, to be a secure attachment style matched with a secure attachment style. However, theoretically, a healthy relationship is going to be a mix of intimacy and independence. And so the insecure um, attachment struggle to get the balance right. If you're avoidant, you struggle to get that balance right of, you know, closeness and independence. And so with the secure attachment style, I believe the intention around that kind of definition is that those people are in a bit more just a healthy relationship of feeling good and having the right balance of intimacy and independence. And so I did some reading about what are some of those key skills that come into play when you are operating from your own secure attachment style. And so some of the things that you can do or think about to improve your relationship satisfaction is to start by learning about your attachment style, whatever kind that is. Then you're going to potentially examine your beliefs about relationships. You want to increase your emotional awareness. That is like a full topic that I love talking about. Emotional intelligence. I think that it is so interesting and there's just so much to discuss in that. Another thing you can do is to communicate openly and listen to your partner or friend, whoever it is. 
And then the other thing it says you can do is to minimize stressors or seek out others with healthy relationships. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. And I thought those were generally good advice. I think, yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And I, um, yeah, I, I respect what you're saying. Like there's absolutely qualities in the secure attachment style that would improve your happiness in your relationship. Like, I don't think anybody can disagree that having good communication is a good thing in a relationship, (laughs) things like that. But it does kind of make me laugh because personally, I find myself wondering, where are all these uh, secure people at? You know, where are they? You know where they are. Happily married. (laughs) They're not out here. They're not in the dating pool. Christine looks so smug right now. Yeah, that, I know. <laughs> That's very funny, Jennifer. Yeah, I know. This is legitimately, I was listening to a podcast on it and he's like, yeah, like that's why you don't find them in the dating pool because they're all having successful relationships. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. man. I should have put that funny. on my Tinder profile when I was 18. How was I supposed to know? That's a really interesting subject to think about someone's attachment style being the determination of their success in a relationship or their happiness in a relationship more than their partner or what's going on in their lives or what else. Because part of the research that I did, now this is specific to your romantic partner, I guess it could be relevant to your friend, but not for everyone, is your attachment style and your sexual satisfaction with your relationships. Because those people with those secure attachment styles are having better sex than the rest of us (laughs) because they're able to let their guard down and connect. They're not either worrying about being rejected or trying to put an emotional wall up with their partner during these intimate moments. Okay, here's a thought. We talk about all of, quote unquote, all of the secure people are off the market because they're married and in secure, happy relationships. Okay, so one of the things that I read about about attachment is that people who are secure just in general, they have a positive sense of self. Now think about this. Do you have a positive sense of self all day, every day? Like it's hard. It's hard to like, I think, carry self-confidence consistently in large quantities because life is life is hard and things happen and that's probably diving into another topic but if like if that's a key indicator of somebody who's secure they are just like yeah i've got a really positive sense of self do i <laughs> like and if i'm questioning it does that mean i don't or like sometimes i do or most of the times or after i've had coffee like what's what's the indicator here i don't i don't know how to handle all this information because What I'm hearing, oh, successful relationships and security, we should be teaching this instead of math in elementary school, attachment style theory, or we should just put everybody in therapy and be like, we're going to start unpacking your trauma as it happens. You're a child still. Let's just start now. (laughs) She's like, I feel so behind. I'm like, I didn't even learn about this until like a year ago. This... I, I can't even disagree with you, Jenny. So many things happen throughout our life that we think just, we don't really think about. It's just life happening for long periods of time. And then you get to be an adult or a quote unquote adult, and then you're just adulting as best you can. And I think it takes so much time and effort and self-reflection, really look at yourself and figure yourself out. 
And that is like a beautiful lifelong journey. And I think that it's also a balance of accepting yourself for your flaws and trying every day to be the best version of yourself or, you know, improving by 1% every day. But it's unrealistic. And I know we say it as joking, but it's unrealistic to say that I'm just going to unpack all the baggage and luggage and trauma as it happens to me. So then I'm just totally no, no emotional baggage here. Like good idea. Not great in practical terms. Fair. You can't make somebody go to therapy. They have to be ready to be able to open up and look at it and, and things like that. If I was 12 and you were trying to make me talk about, I don't know, self-esteem, I don't think it would go well. I literally remember going to therapy as a kid after our parents got divorced and I refused to speak. I literally was like forced to go to therapy. They're like, she's having a hard time, which I was. And they're like, you can talk to this lady. And I would sit in the room. You want to talk about stubborn? And I wouldn't talk. I would not talk. You want to talk about like, I wasn't ready to process things. I didn't know how to talk about my feelings or emotions or what I was going through. That is perfect example of people will process their emotions when they're ready. What's very funny because at that same point in my life, I was a few years, obviously a few years older than Liz. I think I was like maybe a freshman or sophomore in high school. And I remember going to therapy and all I would talk about was my relationship with my boyfriend. I didn't like, I never in hindsight, it probably was there probably some parallels or some trauma that I was trying to process maybe. But at the time, All I cared about was talking about my boyfriend and what was going on with him because we had a terrible relationship too. And uh, it's just very funny (laughs) that when I think back on it, it was a great idea to have kids talk about their issues when parents parents get divorced, but I misused all those hours. I feel like I need to weigh in. Okay, so, you know, divorce. I was only eight. I don't remember therapy. I don't remember if we had to go. I didn't go. I think I went to piano when you guys went to therapy. (laughs) So we didn't go together, first of all. So it wasn't like we all, it wasn't like we all went together. So I don't know, Jenny, if you went or not, but I do remember going by myself. I didn't drive myself. I was too young, but I was in the room with a therapist. Like they're like, okay, Liz, tell us how you feel. And I was like, all right, I'm going to watch the clock for an hour. Also the ability of you at that age to defy an authority figure, that takes a lot of gumption. I can barely do that now. It's pretty remarkable. It's also kind of terrifying, but <laughs> remarkable. Yes, good. Probably that. I didn't say good. I didn't. Like, say yeah, I know. I know. I didn't say bad. You know. <laughs> I mean, we don't, we don't even know if I went to therapy. <laughs> we don't label things good and bad or black and white. No. There's so much no. gray. It's gray. Gray. Mm-hmm. We could do a whole podcast episode about taking the good and bad context out of the things in our lives. Because when you stop and think about, we talked about this a little bit with the owning versus renting podcast, how owning is perceived as good and renting is perceived as bad, but they're not, they're neutral things. We just have this value we put on them and we could extrapolate that out to so many different parts of life. Write that down. Any other lessons learned or takeaways about attachment styles? One thing I think was interesting when I was taking the attachment style test, I wondered a little bit by like how much current 
situations in my life, like maybe stress or like a recent disagreement with my partner might actually impact my, you know, results because I can, I felt like when I, in the moment I was taking that, I think I had my guard up a little bit. I'd be curious to see like, if I take the test again in maybe like six weeks in a different situation, if my score would be that different or not, because I do, even though Liz told us that there's not a good and bad to anxious versus avoidant versus secure. There's that part of me that wants to see that secure number be higher because it feels like that is, you know, what you're seeking or a very balanced, thoughtful relationship. Yeah. And I don't intend to, I think more so I'm trying to say like having an anxious or avoidant styles doesn't make you bad or lacking or poor in relationships it's it doesn't mean that but yeah the secure attachment style has more benefits healthy relationships balance of different things more happiness calm like yeah it's still the desired outcome to increase that sort of attachment or practice that even taking christine even taking like your comment a step further about I mean, not only do I think your score would change about what's happening with, you know, with your partner and with your relationship, I think a lot of it would also change depending on how you feel about yourself at that time, whether or not you're feeling particularly self-confident or you're feeling doubt maybe in, you know, am I pulling my weight in my partnership? Does my partner value me or, or things like that? So this is just so nuanced. I mean, we could, we could take this test every day and get a different result. I very much agree with that, Jenny. It is a quiz for yourself and how you are feeling, not necessarily based on your partner or, you know, the friend or the coworker or whatever it is you have in mind, like the, you know, the parent or sibling it's, yeah, it's, it's how you're feeling. And you're the only one who knows that. And you're the only one who can control, you know, your actions and reactions to things. And because I'm avoidant, I'm the only one who's going to know that. I will never share. <laughs> That's legit, Jenny. You won't, no one will know unless you say it. Correct. Classic avoidant. <laughs> All right. To wrap things up for this episode, we are going to do a product recommendation slash 20 questions because it's our favorite game. So I have picked a product that I love and the girls are going to ask me questions to figure out what it is. Is this something you owned in Michigan or Florida? Florida. Did you buy it on Amazon? That doesn't narrow it down a lot, but yes. And you eat it? No. Is it a beauty product? No. Is it an organizational product? No. Good question though. Is it on your back patio? No. Is it in your kitchen? It is. But it's not edible? No. Well, we know it's not a wine opener because after weeks of searching, she finally found it. (laughs) It's a good point. I don't know where the wine opener is. Is it something that you use when you're cooking? No. Is it a cleaning product? No. <laughs> is it a decorative item? No. It has a job. It has a job. It's useful. It's useful. <laughs> but you okay. don't use it to clean or to cook in your no. kitchen. <laughs> yes. Do you do you use it every day? Yes. Do I do I have one? I don't think so. Does Christine have one? Also, I don't think so. Is it your Alexa? No. I know you like that that thing. I I talk to her all the time. We (laughs) jam out in the morning. (laughs) What is it related to a specific meal? Yes. Is it breakfast? Yes. Is this item coffee related? Yes. 
Is it a frother? Yes. <laughs> I lost count of how many questions that was, but it feels like it was, it was close a lot. to 20. It was a lot. Job. I love my milk frother. I use it for coffee. I use it for hot cocoa. I use it to mix my creamer into my coffee. I mix it for water when I'm just feeling like I want to add like the little vitamin C packs. If there's anything that I need to mix, I will mix it with my frother whenever possible. I love it. It's so fun. It can make a mess if you don't use it properly. So be careful, but I, we will link it at our link tree because it's just great. Nice product. I have a mixing related product that I love. I have a little Ninja food processor. I think I got from Target for like $20. I use that thing constantly, more than my blender, more than my milk frother, but it is, I use that thing all the time. And I'm so glad that I have it. I would say that was one of the the top used items I have in my kitchen. What do you You use it for? Making salad dressings. Wow, she uses it a lot. You have a milk frother though. I do, yeah. What do you Liz use it for? Liz just makes her salad dressings with the frother. <laughs> I, oh, the I milk? Should... The milk frother I use to mix my like um, greens powder and like my, my magnesium supplements before I drink those before bed. Okay, hot tip. I learned this on TikTok is that if you froth your tequila, it doesn't taste as bad when you take it as a shot. So I learned it from TikTok. I don't have personal experience, but somebody should try it and then report back and let me know. Deal. Well, thanks for a great episode, ladies. Have a nice night. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sisters of the Apocalypse. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. And don't forget, live like there's no tomorrow. Thanks for listening.